0: Agile Coffee Episode 60 Welcome back It's as if we're in a coffee house with all your scrum master and Agile coach friends (laughs) I'll be your barista today serving up some Espresso shots of Agile and Lean ideas. Enjoy the vibe. Mix it up with some friends. Have a laugh. New music for the Agile Coffee Podcast. Thievery Corporation. From the Wired CD. 15 years ago years ago. CD came in a magazine. RIP, sample, mash, share. Free music archive. DC 3000 by Thievery Corporation. And you need a little DC to go with your AC. Agile Coffee. My name is Vic Bonacci. You can reach me on Twitter at Agile Coffee. And yes, it's been a while. 2018 was a very busy year for me. I celebrated my half-centennial, bought a house. We used Scrum to buy the house on the first day of the year, 2018. My wife and daughter and I investigated, what are our values? We created a backlog, assigned tasks, (laughs) and we iterated. How many houses did we see? I don't know, but there was a lot of iterating going on. We got space, though, and a pool. You need a pool in Southern California. But now with that space, I have my own studio. Well, not so much a studio as a room in the house. I had been, for previous podcasts, doing all the editing and production in the garage of the apartment that we rented, but no more! Lo and behold, I'm organized, or at least getting there. So welcome, listeners who have uh, been waiting for a while. Also last year, uh, in addition to those two life-changing events, I also changed jobs. So if you were looking for me at the old place, I'm not there. Because I'm at a rocket night. Rocket Knight Bring humanity back to your job Bringing humanity back to the workplace (laughs) Hey, we can have fun We're all humans This is not Agile for Humans But maybe it is Because we are part of the Agile Podcast Network Thought I forgot about that, didn't you? Yeah, Rocket 9. So I'm a coach and a trainer and a marketer and a an operations person. and <laughs> Sweep the floors, print the t-shirts. Lots of fun. It's a small group. We're very agile. Southern California. So if you're ever in Southern California, maybe you are right now. And you're looking for coaching, training, just a little coffee talk? Give Rocket9Solutions a call. Rocket9Solutions.com Hey, Southern California, Agile Open. Southern California is happening in about a month, September 9th and 10th. It's a Monday, Tuesday. Yours truly will be holding space use the promo code agilecoffee2019 and get $20 off that brings you to the early bird price more information at agileopencalifornia.com well all right we've got a show for you today it's a uh, it's a throwback springtime 2018 me and my best friends all joined paul Wynia for a day of lego serious play So it goes back 14, 15 months ago, but it's really good stuff, really good. So sit back, relax, and enjoy another espresso shot of Agile Coffee. Welcome to the Agile Coffee Podcast. This is episode 60. I'm your host, Vic Bonacci. You can find me at Agile Coffee on Twitter. I am pleased to be joined with three of my very closest friends. And maybe there'll be a fourth guy walking in here. Maybe not. Probably not. He's shaking his head, no. Um, so around the table we have Lorraine Aguilar, who is on Twitter at Working Harmony. Ben Rodelitz, on Twitter at Ben Rodlitz. Paul Wynia on Twitter at work agile. So um guys, I think we had a really fine time today. Um we are here in Carlsbad, California, 5 miles away from Legoland, and so Paul, tell us why we're here in Carlsbad.
1: So we just finished our day one jump into Lego serious play class. We had uh seven of us all together here today playing with Lego and learning how we can use it in the workplace.
0: It was a fun time. It was my first time doing a, a day-long event with you um, or with anyone doing uh, Lego Serious Play. Um, I've been to, at a few of the sessions that we do um, at the Agile Opens, I know that you've brought Legos around and you've introduced us to one or two exercises at a time um, using the Legos from Lego Serious Play, but this is really great because it got us um, kind of involved in seeing the theme evolve throughout the day. Uh, Some of our topics actually move right into that, so let's just go ahead and get started. The first topic is, uh, actually I'm going to read the three topics together and we'll just see how they go. So we've got one topic that says, why use Lego Serious Play? Another topic here that says, how to make play relevant to work for people who think it's a waste of time. And finally, when is it safe to play at work? Who wrote that one?
1: I wrote that one. Uh, Part of my thinking there is often that's a question that I get when I'm talking to people about Lego serious play. They talk about, well, I don't know that my teams would do that. You know, we're really serious. We're all about work. And, you know, we just don't, we don't have time to do things like that. Or... I don't think the team members would want to do things like that. So I get a lot of issues that sound like issues around safety and and how comfortable the team would be. Mm. And is your experience that
0: uh, once you get started that there, there are safety issues or do you find that they're kind of unfounded to begin with?
1: I have typically found I've never really run into a problem where using it has been an issue. Anytime I've been brought in to run a workshop or or do some kind of activities with teams, they're a lot more receptive, I find, than people necessarily think. I do think there are situations, you know, if there is stressors or something like that within the team where there's conflict going on, that's maybe not the best place, so it's more... Is your environment unsafe? If it's an unsafe environment at the time, then I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. But anything else, you know, even if it's a brand new team that's never worked together and maybe hasn't created the safe environment yet, this is a great way to start to create that safe environment.
2: Do you, do you introduce it as a, as a push or a pull? Do you tend to say we're going to do this or do you open it to the team and get invited in?
1: I've done it both ways. Uh, if I'm being brought in to run an activity and and you know have sign off that hey we're going to have this training day or or whatever the day is going to be, then that's certainly more of uh, what would be looking what would look like a push. Uh, of of course I'm. It's a lot more fun to have it be a pull uh, and have the team inviting us in there and and wanting to have us involved. Uh, but I, I've certainly had it happen both ways.
3: Um, Paul, you mentioned earlier in the training that one of there is an application for con- addressing conflict using the Legos. W- would you be willing to speak to that in terms of maybe creating safety if there is a, a team that starts in an unsafe conflict state? Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't had a
1: chance to take that class yet. That's one that's offered, so I'm a trainer for strategic play. And currently I'm with Strategic Play U.S. Kind of started that about a year and a half, two years ago uh, here in the U.S. And that is one that is offered out of our Whistler office. Uh, But I know that the people who run it are very skilled conflict uh, negotiation. Uh, One's actually uh, a lawyer from that space who helped create the program and, and helps train it. Uh, so I know that there's lots of ways that they do use it, and, and we've even used it in environments with uh, anti-bullying campaigns for children, uh, and, and that's part of the the nonprofit wing of strategic play uh, to kind of work with children who are dealing with bullying and things like that. So there's a lot of places around conflict that it can be used, uh, both with adults and children. So
0: maybe you want to back up and tell us a little bit more about the um, Strategic Play organization, and maybe put it into perspective with the greater um, LEGO Serious Play uh, framework or community. Uh, You mentioned that there were, um, is it only four master trainers?
1: Yeah, there's four master trainers uh, around the world. Uh, Jackie uh, Lloyd-Smith, who started Strategic Play, is one of those trainers, and then uh, Denise Meyerson in Australia, also with Strategic Play, is is another one of those trainers.
0: So Strategic Play has two of the four master trainers at yes. of all. Of LSP. <laughs> it sure huh? does. It sure does. Oh, fortunate! That's great. Yeah. How big is uh, the Strategic Strategic Play organization?
1: So it's a worldwide organization at this point. We've got trainers all over the place from uh, Brazil, Central America, Turkey. Uh, we're we're all over the world. We just uh, have a trainer who's starting in China now, uh, as well as a couple trainers here in the U.S. myself here in in Carlsbad, Southern California, and then there's another one in the U.S. in Chicago. So we're uh, we're taking over the world. World <laughs> domination.
2: One Lego at a time. <laughs> one Lego at a time. There you go. One brick at a time. What's uh, what's the connection between what we did today, Lego Series Play, and Lego? The company that we know and love?
1: So this was created uh, by the grandson of the founder of uh, Lego. Uh, he created this a few years ago, looking into some of the kinesthetic learning uh, research that was going on at the time. So it's an offshoot of, of Lego. Uh, and it's something that they support. Uh, but it's really something that they've kind of turned over to the community to be actively involved and engaged. So there are Lego Serious Play kits and things like that, but it's really something that they've uh, let the community kind of run with because they see a very active and engaged community, which they're supportive of, but they've kind of let them them, them run.
0: So Lego Serious Play, um, as you said, today was a one-day jump into Lego Serious Play. Is it Um, is it typically a a three-day experience, or you've got a menu of, is it modular, where you can do different things with it as you need to?
1: Yeah, so there, there are a variety of different classes, so this is, for me personally, I usually do a teams and groups training, although I'm working on an agile Lego serious play class, so that there's... There's teams and groups. There's the conflict one that we spoke about before. There's also advanced strategies, lots of different ones. There's uh, coaching one, although that's really more for one-on-one personal coaches than what we're used to, the Agile coaching. Uh, So that one actually comes with a a whole program that you run through with with, uh, your coaching client. But that's, again, more one-on-one kind of coaching.
0: That sounds like a great tool for the... uh... Proverbial Coaches Toolkit. Yeah. Um, we, we have the other topic here. It says, how to make play relevant to work for people who think play is a waste of time. And we touched on it a bit with the safety aspect, but Lorraine, was there any other point to that question that we didn't yet cover that you'd like to dive into?
3: Um, just um, where that came from is just distinguishing that some workshops like this one, I mean, where people personally pay money and drive distances, that's a different set of participants than, let's say, your my boss told me I need to be here, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and that kind of dynamic can shift the energy of the room. So just curious if there's any strategies on on working with that kind of an environment. And I'll I'll confess, back when I used to be an engineer, I used to be part of that crowd. You know, now I'm on the other side of the fence, <laughs> but I remember training. You know, it's like, okay, trainings are fun diversions. I might Mm -hmm. enjoy them, but let me get back to my real work. Um, And from an organizational standpoint, that's also uh, both human resources as well as any training organization's challenge is how, and this might relate to, we were talking about the importance of metrics. Mm. You know, how do we, how does any training organization, internal or external, justify the value of its training? Other than, wow, that was fun, that was great, but, How does that connect to a bottom line? For individual skeptics as well as organizations, why are we going to fund this program?
2: It's easy to quantify the cost. It's very hard to quantify the benefit. Exactly.
3: Exactly. So this actually has institutional as well as individual impacts.
2: So, you know, in thinking of, uh, we talked, during the day, we talked about uh, a few times we got out of the room and walked around and talked about what is it that we're getting out of this. And in the partner I walked with, we were talking about how when we come to a session, sessions like this, one of the real defining questions on success is was there anything actionable yeah. that I took out of this? And I'm thinking, yeah, I might have, I might struggle with a team kind of rolling their eyes at some of this. If I were to take what we did today back to the organization that I work with. I might I might try to leverage it with coaching the other tra- – sort of training the trainers Yeah. in that the first level of working with the people that we work with is just giving them the raw skills. But I really try to get them to, to work outside of the cookie-cutter day-to-day stuff because the teams don't respond when they feel like they're going through the motions too. And I think this may be really, really powerful, helping the coaches understand that here are things, just in the way I'm talking to you, and we're coming outside the box by doing something that seems like play, but relates to what we're doing. I want you to take that back to your team. So rather than me taking it to the teams, taking it to the trainers and having it scale that way, uh, I think that might be really helpful.
1: You know, and a lot of what's behind it is real brain science and certainly Vic, I know you're familiar with a lot of that uh, being a training from the back of the room trainer and and how important a lot of that kinesthetic learning and, uh, you know, the looking at things in different ways and taking different approaches to it uh, and the value that you can gain from that. So it's really talking about how do we teach this material better? How do we make sure that it's sticky with those people that we're going to? And if you just do a straight-out lecture, as you know, that's not very sticky, and that's really not the best way to communicate information anymore. So there's just the brain science is very clear, and and there's lots of it out there that you can take to management or whoever it is that you need to get signed off that, hey, this really works, uh, and there's good, solid science behind it.
0: Yeah, the, the science... Um that we hear often, and I don't know if the exact numbers are uh, what they are, but um, there are primarily three ways of learning you have visual learning, um, auditory learning, and kinesthetic. And I think that the most predominant one is something like 50 or 60 percent of people. The most predominant way of learning is visually, um, followed by auditory uh, learning, and then the smallest, I think, percentage. Of people, their primary learning method is kinesthetic but but even today, I think uh, Lorraine and I both had observations late in the class about um, how the kinesthetic aspect of it kind of revealed a certain part of themselves. For me, it was um, I like to Maybe it was more visual in this respect. I like to lay all my Legos out on the table and have them sorted right. by color and, and shape. But just because I wanted to know by kind of feel where the pieces were so that when I wanted to build, I didn't even have to look as as if a, a craftsman lays their tools out in front of them so that they could reach to them easier. Ben said the doctor's tray of, of their instruments in the operating room. And did you want to share, Lorraine, like what your experience was in the kinesthetic and the...
3: Oh, sure. If that's okay. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I'm a huge fan of kinesthetic learning. I mean, you see me with playing cards in almost every workshop. And yet it was interesting that the Legos specifically were a fine motor skill uh, kinesthetic activity, and during the same exercise that you referenced, Vic, where we had a little walk and talk with our partners to say what were our takeaways so far, mm. um, my partner shared how much she really enjoyed just the satisfaction of putting pieces together. That that inherently, and in of itself, in addition to any actually learnings, it was just it just felt good. And it was funny because for me, it was the opposite. I I'm very frustrated by small motor skill activities. Putting a little peg into a little hole is Um, well, I'll I'll quote myself from earlier, my definition of hell. (laughs) And yet I still got so much from the activities, the the being able to build and make that, um, turn that into all sorts of innovative learnings. And going back to
0: what you had said a minute ago, Paul, about um, specifically in training from the back of the room, I recall that um, Sharon Bowman and other people who teach have things on the table whether they're like the twist ties or the or little puzzles that people can play with, kind of like the idea of the fidget spinners that were such a fad only a year ago. You, know, you don't see them too much anymore. Or the fidget cubes, things that occupy people kinesthetically as they're either listening to or watching something else. Um, they're able to occupy themselves.
1: Well, and if listeners could see the room right now, uh, I think you will you would see from all the posters that were created during this session that people had lots of opportunities to see, to write, to not just, it's not just touch, much like uh, you learn again in, in training from the back of the room, not to keep uh, pushing Sharon's learning, but uh, there's some really great stuff in there, and it's about always changing from one to the other to a ne- the next one, so it's not just the kinesthetic, the, the visuals there, the auditories there, the the writing, all those different things are, are involved and engaged.
0: So your question, Lorraine, how you said, um, you know, how can we make play relevant to work for people who might think it's a waste of time, doesn't have to just be specific to Legos. Um, and I think, I think, Ben, you were also getting to that too. I'm trying to think of other ways that we use play or... Training. Sometimes we call it training where it's using simulations or other training activities um, where we, we introduce topics in a way that might appear as play from the outside, but once, they, once the, activ- uh, the participants um, you know, participate in the activity, they could understand that it's not play, that I'm actually practicing something. And it might not be until after the activity is done where they realize, oh, I learned something. I internalize whether it 's small batches or the need for teams to self organize or whatever the activity may have them do yeah
2: the most prevalent for me that happens all the time is the retrospective part of what we do mm. in in our in our if not day to day week to week where again getting out of that cookie cutter when when I go to a team that 's been formed um, they 'll be sitting there and talking about what went well what didn 't go well, and then when you inter, inter uh in, Interspace something you you bring in something like sailboat, or some other way where you're really doing the same thing, but it seems like play. Mm-hmm. It just seems to get the sparks going and the neural connections going differently. And at the end of the day, you're gonna you're gonna you're trying to get the same things out of it. But if that's a case where it's it sounds like play, but you're really getting something something done. And and whenever we do the sailboat, it's always easy to say afterwards. You know, do you see that there was a reason to do this along with... Yeah. And
1: there's just, you know, in this Agile space, there's just so many great activities and things that people... I mean, if you go up to Tasty Cupcakes, there's hundreds and hundreds of of different activities up there. Or there's, you know, the innovation games stuff. There's the Agile Fluency game, which we played at the office not too long ago. Uh, lots and lots of different uh, activities and games and things like that, that, that are out there. It's not just limited to Lego, which if you look at that, there's, uh, I think you said earlier, you had taken the class where it was the TDD, uh, test driven design, uh, or development, uh, Lego game. Uh, there's just so many fantastic things out there.
0: Paul, you, you mentioned something in the class that I I really liked the idea of a, um, a palate cleanser. Mm. And and I think that kind of comes into play here, and pardon the pun, when we talk about having people that are coming from a, a situation where they're heads down, doing activities, or just showing up to work for the day, and you want to bring them into, whether it's a retrospective or a training, some kind of an activity, but you want to Can you describe what you mean by a palate cleanser in that sense?
1: Sure. Uh, What we were specifically doing was a series of different improv games, and I find those can be really good. There's maybe not the actual training element behind them, uh, but it's something that takes you out of the headspace you were in before and brings you into the room and gets you present because it's so engaging and and so active that if you're not paying attention, if your head is still thinking about the bugs at your desk, you're not going to be able to participate in that activity so it's finding those activities and here's another great one for the show notes team first development uh, that wade stallman created that has just a long list of excellent uh improv activities and even some videos and everything of some of the different improv activities that you can do that just bring people into the room and engage them and get them present
0: yeah those are fantastic i want to make sure that i start to um incorporate more of those into my day-to-day activities there because i feel that you know after a while especially with the same team you can get stuck in habits and and patterns and and to introduce a um a palate cleanser or or what a lot of people do especially people who i found who do um mob programming and always spend their time with a the mob they uh they have work on katas during the day or have a dojo here and there and i think that also serves as the same purpose to kind of break up and level set uh, the team for whatever is coming next.
1: And it helps create some of those connections between team members and and even makes things like failure uh, seem safer and, and, hey, we can have fun with our failure, and, and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. So before we leave the topic of LEGO Serious Play, I want to, um,
0: again, repeat the question, why use uh, LEGO Serious Play, or LSP? Um, we mentioned quite a few cases, but I want to I want to first start by saying that Legos themselves um, have been used in other ways aside from LSP. For example, um, and I, I've brought this up to you in, in the past. My my first experience with Legos in an agile kind of a conference setting, a learning setting. Um, I went to a, a conference in San Francisco. I think it was uh, San Francisco Agile 2012. And there were three sessions that included Legos. One, uh, I believe it was Ellen Grove talked to, did some exercises based on LSP. But then there was one by Brian Beecham who did, um, who used Legos to introduce concepts of test driven development. Uh, and then another, um, one, uh, Olaf, um, and, and somebody else, I can't remember the names now. That was a while ago, <laughs> used Legos, uh, to introduce, um, Kinefin. Uh, Knevin and the Stacey Matrix, I think, at the time. And and they had some exercises there. And I tried to repeat what the guys from Agile 42 uh, did there. You can go to their website to find out what that exercise was. But again, it's using Legos as a means of explaining concepts, um, separate from Lego serious play. Um,
2: yeah, yeah. As, part of, as part of the Teradata onboarding, and that's not just for Agile people, it's anybody who's coming into the company we'll run a 4 hour here's here's agile which mm-hmm. of which a main component is build a city yeah. uh and going through iterations and trying to give a more tactile explanation of why we're doing what we're doing too
0: have you ever done that with um it sounds like maybe that's i've heard scrum trainers have like build a city or something but not necessarily with legos but yeah, yeah that, no, was, do you guys use legos for that though? yeah yeah so iterations on... Heads yeah, so to the,
2: the, the th- what, will, what will happen is you'll start with saying, go build a city, here are the things you need to build, and you'll have a list of things which are sort of like a backlog. Yeah. And then they'll go do it. And then they'll have the first review. Yeah. And the product owner will say, no, that's not what I wanted. No, that's not what I wanted. And they'll, they'll realize they didn't ask questions and the requirements weren't. Yeah. you know, Sort of like when we build a tower in like a serious play, and we just build a tower and nobody said what kind of tower. right. And then they, then they learn that they need to ask more questions. They need to be clearer what they're doing. They learn better about flow. They learn about sharing. You know, so they get more things built.
0: Right. So why why Lego Serious Play then?
2: If we could do all
0: these things on our own, coming up with build a city or teaching TDD or whatever it might be, why do we need LSP?
1: So part of what is included in Lego Serious Play is, is a real step-by-step guide to how you use it in an environment and part of that is making sure that each person is individually involved and engaged sometimes in some of the larger activities it's still possible to check out oh these other people can build the city i'm just gonna be a sideline participant and kind of watching from the outside in lego series play every person uh, builds every person shares we all talk about what it is that we're doing. And even if it eventually becomes part of a group build, we're all doing our own thing and then contributing to the whole. And also another really important step is that debrief. Yeah. Uh, as you know, uh, if you don't have the debrief, if you don't come back together and talk about why it is you just did what you what you did, that can really harm the learning and, and really limit uh, what you get out of an activity. So that is really emphasized in Lego Series Play is make sure you have that debrief. Okay, what did we just do? What did we get out of that? Why are we doing this? Why
2: are we here? The the concepts that we went through today and the methodology that we went through again goes to that scalability in that when we do the building part, we're kind of showing some agile principles and you get it or you don't get it. What we tried to do today was to to build some skills within ourselves that we can transfer and move on. So that's why it was important that everybody had to be involved, whereas if you're building a city and some people aren't, some people aren't, the, the exercise still has some power. So I saw, I see this as a pretty different... I see some pretty strong discriminations in the thoughtfulness of the step-by-step that we did today.
0: Yeah, the, um, the note-taking, how you had us... And, and, that, and we, that, we could that. talk about the... Um, if, if you like, we could talk about some of the working agreements that we had here, but one of them... Um, One of your rules or requests for us was not to take notes, and uh, one of the working agreements said, um, uh, "Was it trust the process?" Yeah. And um, what about flow? Like, don't uh, stay in flow. flow. Uh, Because if you're taking notes, then you're staying out of. You're not present. You're out of the flow. And then, and every time someone would write a note, you would say no notes, just trust the process. <laughs> um, but the activity at toward the end of the of the one day was these posters on the wall, which you referenced already. And not only do we have for each poster, you have the activity uh, up at the top. You have the instructions, so we had to, as a team, remember what the instructions were. But also at the bottom, you have the why, which is coming out of the debrief. Yeah. So you had us recall what is it in the debrief that, that came out. Why are we doing the debrief? Mm-hmm. And I think when I asked, you know, why why LSP, you'd you'd hit it right on the head. You were kind of codifying a lot of these learnings. And you're not necessarily reading from a script. You may have a script somewhere, but it wasn't that... We saw Paul at the head of the class, like reading from a script. It wasn't like that at all. But yet, you knew exactly what the intention was for each activity, what the steps were, what the timing was, and then what you wanted us to get out of the debrief. So, I think intention
1: is a, is a great word. Making sure that you're always aware of what's what's the intention here. What are, what's the goal? What is it we're trying to get out of this? Uh, and and yeah, I think that's a big key word whether it's this or any other kind of activity or game or or whatever it is you design. Of course, there's also the thing that Lou Allen Falco and I once talked about where he's like, it's no good if it isn't fun. (laughs) If you're not having fun and people aren't enjoying what they're doing, it doesn't matter what your game teaches or the activity teaches or anything else you gotta have fun doing it so whether it's this or anything else don't forget the element of fun
3: um one of the things that i really love about this um no notes because at first you know that's kind of like taking away the cell phone kind of thing like oh no and i love to take notes um what i love is we got it back better Mm. At, by the end of the workshop, we got notes back better than we could have taken by ourselves. And just to expand a little for your your listeners, since they, they weren't in the room with us, at the end, what the posters that you referenced, they are the notes of explaining every exercise, every step, of, so that we can take this home and do this ourselves. But you did it in an open source kind of way, that we, we, we crowdsourced what the instructions are. So I love that we're walking away literally with group notes.
1: Yeah, uh, this way it's not just your yeah. interpretation. You get a little bit of every, a little flavor of everyone's yeah. interpretation.
3: Yeah, and that could apply to any workshop, not just a Lego serious play oh, yeah, workshop. That's a great facilitator device that, yeah. that I love.
2: And, and your your comment about it has to be fun wasn't lost on the people who came in with expectations because on the board, there's a list of learning objectives that we all got together and each of us wrote what our objectives were for the day and there must be five different stickies up there that are all have to do with let's have some fun yeah. so yeah. they were in sync with you on that paul
1: Yeah, and, and again that that just enhances the learning uh, when you're having fun you're awake you're in, engaged you're involved uh so yeah keep that fun in there uh
0: So where can our listeners find out more about LEGO Serious Play classes or anything that might be
1: upcoming? Uh, If you go up to strategicplay.com, you can find all of this there, and and I'm sure that'll be in the show notes. Uh, But strategicplay.com is where we keep uh, all of the, the classes that we've got scheduled. So even if you're not in the Southern California area, although with the sunshine and all the beautiful weather we've got outside this afternoon. Uh, it's great to come down here, but the Whistler's gorgeous as well. And, and I, I hear there's some good food in Chicago if you head out to one of their trainings. So there's, there's lots of, uh, excellent opportunities.
2: You can also uh, coerce Paul into doing a session at any of the open spaces we find him at. There you so go. Right? We bring your Legos <laughs> everywhere I see you. So I
1: always have Lego with Paul me. Paul, the
3: Lego guy. <laughs> do you go to people's offices for in-house training?
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. We do a lot of in-houses as well as the public training courses.
0: And you said that you've worked with very senior level people in, in workplaces as well as teams and anywhere in between.
1: Yeah, I think that's really important when you're talking about play and and not just Lego, but uh senior management loves to play just as much as anyone else and and you you always think they're so serious and and everything like that and you know, at heart they're just the same as normal human beings and and they love to play, so it you know, it's not necessarily just Lego or anything else like that. You can take lots of activities. You know, there are things in there again that you've got to be cognizant of. You've got to make sure that this is not something uh, there, you know, there's concerns around status and, and I don't want to lose the status. You know, it's something we talk about in improv activities is, is what's the status of the people and they don't want to look foolish in front of their peers or in in front of uh, the people that they work with every day. So you've got to make sure that you're doing things that are safe and comfortable for them Again. But absolutely, you can engage uh, executives just the way that you engage anyone else.
0: Yeah. Brings us right back full circle to the opening topic about when is it safe to play at work. Absolutely. All right, then. Our last topic today is metrics in an agile
2: environment.
0: Ben, you wrote this one. Why don't you start us off?
2: Yeah. I. This is kind of a, a, a subtopic off of something we talked about at open Space, which was just acrimony in the agile space in general, that a lot of topics that have interesting discussions on both sides very quickly devolve into um, more of a form rather than content part of a discussion. And you see a lot of that like around certifications where it's not the certification's fault, but people start holding up straw men about what they do or don't mean and then arguing that rather than maybe how do we make them better or what do they really mean. metrics is another one because um, there's a lot of talk, and, and it's it's reasonable talk within the Agile community that there's certain metrics that are used that are not very um, indicative of the things that we want to do. I What was it, a year and a half ago, I talked about outcomes and outputs and it, we had an all-hands meeting at our company. I never heard the word outcomes said so much. And I think that if we think about outcomes in terms of metrics, then it starts making sense. It's it's naive to go to leadership and expect that they should not care that the company is performing well and the company is getting better at their performance right so if 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 you if you accept that that it's rational for them to care about that, then we start going into the needs and and I'm glad Lorraine is here because Lorraine kind of introduced me to what after the fact it's a very obvious um thought that. When uh, leadership comes up with asking for metrics that we don't care about, and velocity is the whipping dog of these things, I want to see velocity go up 20%. We look at that, and we think that behavior needs to be changed, and we attack the behavior. And and, and the way I phrased the opening to this was the underlying need is I, I don't have an interest in. I have a duty to make sure that this company is performing well and performing better. And what we should be doing in the discussion of metrics is not you should stop looking at this meaningless net metrics, but we should figure out how do we um, support that need that you have that we would be not only naive, we would be negligent to not accept. Yeah,
1: and How do we provide value in, in what we're looking at and, and what is it that you're actually trying to get to? Uh, you know, they can make a request for we want this metric or we want that metric. Well, well, why? What's the value that you're trying to achieve? What is it that you're trying to get out of that? Uh, rather than just saying, nope, sorry, you can't have velocity. We're not going to give you velocity um, because that violates our principles. But well, why is it that you want velocity? And maybe what are some other ways that we can uh, give you the information that you need without necessarily violating the team or or anything else like that.
3: Exactly. Paul, you hit on one of the two things that I thought were probably the most important and yet simultaneously some of the most difficult things to achieve in, in organizational metrics is meaning, how do you make metrics meaningful? And the second is, how do you make it real time, as close to real time as possible? Um, Just to speak to the real time, um, I remember the CEO of Special Olympics California, of course being a sports organization, taught me this lesson, he goes, Lorraine, we we need to make the metrics more like basketball and less like ice skating, you know, because a lot of metrics are kind of, you do your thing and then at some interval when you're done with that interval, you know, you hold up a score, how did we do? Mm -hmm. Right and that 's different than basketball, where every single player and everyone in the audience knows the score at every moment, so that 's enough said on on the real time but back to the meaningful part i'm curious Ben just to, for clarification, do you believe that the metrics are meaningful, and it's just how to communicate that, or is the metric itself that you're working with not meaningful and and maybe you need a better metric yeah i
2: i in the cases like things like velocity, so the metrics are they're not meaningful as part of the problem, but they're not indicating the value that you care about is much more important. In other soft. words, you can be snarky and say, you know, how much money do you make per story point? You want us to increase how many story points we create. How does that help you? Whereas a- a- in a previous posting, the metrics we were looking at were things like predictability because there is a, a tangible benefit to the company to get a better view of where we're going, you know, there were reasons why you may want to know that. There were tangible benefits to measuring quality, right? And and you can increase other metrics at the expense of quality, so you really want to measure that. And and the company, the last company I was at, the metric, a metric that was in that quadrant they cared about was morale. They would do very simple E N P S because they felt you could. Manipulate the other metrics and burn out your people or have them leave or have them not like what they do or not be able to bring in other talent because of of your net promoter score. And the director of this agile group at the company was insistent that that be one of the metrics that we looked at from an organizational. To me, those have tangible benefit to leadership, right? The ones that don't, and 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 I wanted to add one more thing to the timeliness and meaningful is safety, because there is a it's there is a lot of unsafe things being done in the way metrics are being gathered, and and the lack of safety leads to anti patterns. In other words, if you go to leadership and say, you know why we're doing this agile thing, right? Uh, we're fond of telling people a seven person seven person scrum team is a million dollars a year, right? It you should feel that it's important for the care and feeding of that million dollar resource that you have. And and we want to make them better, right? So if I say you get the concept in in you get the concept that we prioritize what we're doing and we work in priority and we don't necessarily work to our strengths because we want to provide the highest value to our stakeholders. But if you're gonna measure me on how much output I do. You're, you're pushing an anti-pattern there. If I have a choice of doing the the next valuable thing or something that's less valuable but that I'm better at, and you're measuring me by how quickly I output things, well, then you're telling me you're measuring me by the the quantity of my output and not the quality of my
3: output. So the priority gets confused then because yeah. you're creating an incentive for something different. Yeah,
2: so you tell me you value working on high value, which is, to me, one of the two or three core reasons you spend all this money to do whatever various elements of agile you're doing, and yet you're then using as a metric something that is instilling the exact opposite uh, activity. So
0: we've gone from the days of measuring performance by how many lines of code developers produce Mm -hmm. to how many story points a team produces to now... What's next is how much value can you actually get out the door?
2: But to tie it back to the beginning, it is totally obvious to me that velocity is a terrible metric to use at an organizational level. But it's also very reasonable for a COO to say to me, why shouldn't I know how productive my group is? Right? So we can't be blind to that reasonable question. And I see a lot of discussions, you know, I'm, I'm... passionate about this, and I read as much as I can about this, and I usually read about three postings deep, and then it starts getting into, well, the people your, your management needs to be trained better on this kind of stuff, and it's that's not addressing their needs.
3: So it's the challenge that I'm hearing from you, Ben, is how, in a way, sort of how to influence up the chain of command by getting the decision makers to let go of less meaningful metrics or even harmful metrics the ones that have the anti patterns yeah. and convince the decision makers to adopt more meaningful upstream sort of Yeah so that was that, the, the that was the challenge? way I started
2: approaching it and it's it, 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 I'm hoping it's a lot more effective instead of influencing and convincing to to go the, the other way to to take the value proposition and let's have a common understanding of what you care about and then let's find the metrics that match that and oh look velocity is not in that 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 uh, list anymore right um
1: i think it you know it's getting to what are your actual needs and how do i satisfy those needs something yeah. Yeah. that i you're very familiar with lorraine with your, i uh, love communication yeah i love hearing
3: people talk about the yeah the basics and, and put them into action yeah. my work here is done <laughs>
0: yeah get to the why joe at work i was always whenever a metric is proposed he's like he asks why why do you need that yeah goes right back to
2: the outcomes and, and the needs yeah. well and, and there is another outcome that we need to think about that is is going to bite us because it's going to come up, which is I am very interested in rewarding my high performers okay and that's also a rational conversation that comes up so the next step is how to identify my high performers and one way is the quantity of output that they do you've now convinced me ben that maybe that's not a good way how do i reward how do i identify the people because i have a bonus pool Mm -hmm. right unless you want to become everybody gets you know the share of the pie part of my job is to identify performers and allocate this bonus pool based on performance are you telling me you don't want me to identify high performers Mm -hmm. well that's a non-starter Right. I, I, we can do a whole podcast on what, how, do you, how do you measure a good Agile coach. Because I don't want to be measured by the corporate velocity has gone up by 20%. But, but they're going to ask for that other question. And, and that's where we have to be ready to talk also.
3: Yeah. And that could create another anti-pattern. That's so full of landmines. You know, yeah. The big landmines, when you start pulling out, singling out individuals, that can create a culture that incents people. To um, either lie about or or diminish the failures, right, or throw people under the bus, where you have individuals wanting to stand out ahead of other individuals. It's the same reason that we're seeing this global trend in large organizations to actually ditch the annual performance evaluation, or at least at the minimum, ditch the link to pay and prom- performance or pay and promotion decisions, um, because it actually creates anti patterns that, mm-hmm. that that that. Go against the heart and soul of teamwork.
1: Yeah, yeah it's very contradictory. You know, at, at you know one part in their in their just, uh, presentation to the company or whatever they're talking about, agile, agile, agile. We you know we need to be team based, and then all of a sudden they switch over to we need to care about high performers, and it's like, well, who's your star? You, you can't have <laughs> one without you know and have the other. They're they're really at conflict, and so we need to make that conflict clear if we're not going to. Uh, focus on teams. Uh, you know
2: this is this is the cost of that. And there's and that's where the hope is that if we can identify ways of, of, showing you if we're getting better at the things that have real value. The ce the COO at this all hands meeting said, uh, in talking about why we need to be innovative and why we need to take risks and why we need to experiment, was there was a time in our industry. Where, the goal, where we were doing the same thing over and over again, and our goal was to keep doing it better. And he said, those days are over. Mm-hmm. We can't be happy with just doing the same things over and over again, but doing them better, which is exactly what velocity tells you to do. <laughs> velocity tells you to find the things you're good at and just get, just get better at them. People aren't going to innovate. They're certainly not going to take a risk. If I'm being measured on my successful output, why would I experiment? Right? Why would I write good unit tests? Right? Why would I write good documentation if my measurement is on my output? And and the good thing is, the leadership tends to understand that. So that's why the idea is to go with the needs and your values, and then come back to what. Not saying these are bad metrics, but what are good metrics?
3: Actually, Ben, ben if you were king, I and mean, if I were to put you on the spot right now. What metrics would you choose, given your current situation?
2: So I can tell you three that I would be interested in, and I can tell you qualitatively the fourth one, and I would love any of these listeners out here to come up with what that is. One of them is predictability, because I I think there is a tangible benefit to the company for that. One is quality. I think that if you don't use as quality one of your magic metrics, you can make the other ones look good, and And be in very bad shape, I agree that morale is important because I think that if you don't look at that, you can get the others. The one I struggle with is not productivity but value productivity. in other words, in other words, if I do ninety percent of the work I said I was going to do, most companies would be happy with that. But if I did the bottom if i if I neglected the top ten percent of the important stuff you want me to do right? That's not good. So I I would love to find a way to say, we're producing more of the important stuff. And the, the stuff that's not getting done is of lower value. Because I think from, again, from an organizational leadership, that's what you care about. We don't get paid by story points, we get paid by deliverables, right? So here's an aggregation of work that turns into a deliverable that makes money for the company. Let's measure how well we're doing that whole thing and not well,
1: and it, and it really comes back to one of those the core Agile principles is visibility. We care about visibility, and we want to provide visibility, yet we don't actually want to provide visibility. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't, don't look at this. Don't look what's behind the curtain. Just trust us that we're doing the right things. And, and, and yeah, we don't want to live in a black box. We want to create visibility, and, and we need to keep that in mind.
3: I wonder, Ben, if the answer to the, the, the tough one that you mentioned, the value productivity metric, I wonder if that's where design thinking might come to the rescue. Because, I mean, what is what is value productivity? In a, in a way, it's a deliverable that's relevant. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be the function that's going to be most used and beloved by your user, I'm, yeah. I'm guessing. Yeah. And that's really what design thinking is all about. It's using that empathy to really understand, is this really needed? Is this really wanted? I, I don't know if that's too
2: serious. Yeah, no, that's kind of there. I mean, there's a snarky answer to this. is What are you doing now? You have no idea what you're doing. You're not counting lines of code. You're not, you know, you're not looking. You, every deadline you've ever set has been, has been missed, right? Mm-hmm. But you're not looking at that. You do look at quality. So I think a lot of teams are looking at quality. You certainly don't look at employee satisfaction, so why now that we're doing this agile, is it all, all of a sudden important to do that? And an interesting problem with visibility and transparency is back to safety. Yeah. You know? And that's a real balance because there are people that I work with basically doing what I do who, who want not only to have like velocity charts and burndown charts, but want it to be visible for leadership. And when they say, I thought we were supposed to be transparent, that's the beginning of an interesting discussion because my sense is they shouldn't be looking at that because it creates any patterns. And yet it's not an, another – it's another non, non-credible discussion to have that you, you've been pointing out all this velocity and, I mean, transparency and visibility. And now you're telling me I shouldn't look at you, each team's velocity? Make up your mind. What is this Agile stuff?
3: Yeah, well, transparent about what? Transparent yeah. about what and matters. All I
2: care about is when am I going to get twice the work and half the time? I saw the book.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right. So let us know what you think about
0: metrics in an Agile environment. Use the hashtag TellAgileCoffee. Find us all on Twitter. Uh, Lorraine Aguilar is at Working Harmony. Ben Rodalitz is at Ben Rodalitz. He has some questions. He needs you to help. Oh. him <laughs> <laughs> from, uh, from your mouth to my ear. <laughs> Paul Wainia is at Work Agile. I'm Vic Bonacci at Agile Coffee. So I think we're all going to be around the uh, Agile Open Southern California, oh, yeah. which is in September. Sure. So you yeah. can go to agileopencalifornia.com. I'll um, put it in the show notes. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So stay tuned for that.
0: So show notes are online at... AgileCoffee.com slash episode 60. I want to thank all of our participants here today, um, Lorraine, Ben, Paul. And uh, and thank you, dear listeners. And until next time, enjoy your coffee with friends. Now get busy! That's right. The outro music is new, too. Beastie Boys Now Get Busy from the Wired CD, RIP Sample Mass Share 2004. Check out more at Free Music Archive. Show notes are available at agilecoffee.com episode 60. This podcast was produced by Vic Bonacci. Please visit rocket9solutions.com for any of your training, coaching, and workshop needs in Southern California. Also, if you're in SoCal in September... Consider going to the Agile Open Southern California and more information at agileopencalifornia.com. September 9th and 10th, use the promo code AgileCoffee2019 for 20 bucks off. Now, get busy.